Welcome to the Digital Forester Podcast, where we talk to foresters about how they are using digital technologies in their day-to-day forestry work. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Digital Forester Podcast. Today, it's my great privilege to introduce you to Scott McQueen. He's the Senior Technology Officer at FSE, or Forest Stewardship Council, which if you're a forester listening to this, you know who FSC is. So Scott, how are you doing? I'm doing great. And I was just excited to hear from you again, Kevin. It's been a little bit, so I'm, I'm really excited to be here. And if nothing else, just chat with you to catch up. So absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And it's funny when you say, uh, you know, it's been a while for me, it almost feels <laughs> like I saw you the other day, even though it's been two years just with the, these days of the COVID. I know I sound like a broken record on every podcast mentioning COVID and the pandemic, but man it's uh yeah time uh, time has kind of warped like you don't know what happened so yeah yeah for sure so i was just commenting earlier before we fired up awesome background it's not a virtual background for those on youtube uh (laughs) people who are listening on the audio you can't see it but awesome little workspace you gave a a, a wood stove behind to describe to our our audio folks but the youtubers yeah pretty cool so this is your setup you go in every day it's separate from the home environment yeah Yep, definitely. Yeah. And uh, all the wood in here was reclaimed wood. It came from the previous owner had a mill down in on Alaska, Washington. I'm in the Pacific Northwest. And all the wood in here was leftover stuff just laying off in the in the brush and he resurfaced it. And so it's just a it's really a cozy little spot. I'm quite happy to not go into the office, so to speak. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. I wish I had one of those at my house and I could go hide away from my three rugrats and maybe my better half, but we won't say that uh, out loud. At least it's on the podcast. She, she doesn't listen to anything I say related to work or, or forestry or technology. So we're safe. So I'm really excited to chat with you because even though we interact together while you're working at Esri Inc., um, I also knew you had a very rich background and I knew a cool background on the Patagonia Ventures and we'll talk about that but with most of our our people who come onto the show I always ask them like how did you get into forestry yeah that's that's a fun question I uh you know I've always been interested in environmental science I actually went to college first at University of Colorado and then finished up at the Evergreen State College here in the Northwest. And for anyone who knows of the Evergreen, it's very much an environmental uh, uh, cross-disciplinary sort of school, liberal arts, but I got a a science degree from there as well. And uh, that kicked me off into my career with the Forest Service. I actually worked for the Forest Service during the tail end of the spotted owl crisis, the president's forest plan, all that sort of stuff. So my background, so what I did for the Forest Service was GIS actually, but my background was actually going out and doing watershed analysis and looking at the forest health and mapping all of it. And so for me, I've always been just really interested in the play of technology, technology's potential to affect a really old profession industry like timber and logging and and forestry and so that's just kind of carried me all the way through so yeah very 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 cool and 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 you I would say had you know as I said a cool storied career maybe tell share our listeners what that looked like because obviously you're in the GIS space and we'll, we'll delve into that a little bit more because uh, you've, you've seen stuff I've seen, you know, times have definitely changed from oh, back yeah. uh, in that yeah, period, definitely. right? And, yeah. and it's continuing to change. 
but you've been in that technology space, you know, you've been in leadership roles, you know, portfolio management, project management, you know, high values, multi-million dollar uh, initiatives programs. And so we think about that at some point, I, I'm curious also to understand in that journey, if you tell us about it, there was, I don't want to say it was a side trip, but the, the Patagonian adventure things, I, I'm oh, dying yeah. to hear more about this, but for our listeners, maybe walk us through after the forest service, tell us about that techno technology uh, career. Yeah. So the forest service kind of got me going with technology and, and GIS was the gateway drug for me to get into technology. And I worked on at that time, I worked on kind of a cutting edge, edge project with a forest ecologist by the name of Dave Peters. Dave and I worked on mapping the entire Olympic Peninsula, but we were interested in mapping fires and prehistoric fires, if you will. So a lot of people didn't realize this, but the Olympic National Park, the Olympic Peninsula here in Washington State burns over in catastrophic fire events every couple hundred years. So this work we did with mapping these prehistoric fires, overlaying harvest stands and all sorts of different things on top of it, I made a, a model, a computer model based on Esri technology. And you could put in and see where the old growth, the static old growth, the true old stuff that had not been uh, messed with was. And primarily it was in the riparian areas. So they used that model to lay out the president's forest plan, the best practices as we know them, riparian boundaries, all the rest of it. So for me, that was like this kind of epiphany of, wait a minute, this industry and natural resources in general there's so many applications for technology. So that got me jacked up on it. I went to work for Esri at that point as a developer and as a solution engineer or demo jock, we used to call them. And I did a lot of work there. And then I got, I went over and, and in my career at Esri, I, like I started as a developer, I was an instructor for a long time as part of that. But then I took on the, the Northwest Regional offices professional service team and at my heart I'm, I'm a problem solver and i'm happiest when i've got some really meaty problem that i'm working on and for me consulting was just i mean i loved doing consulting it was my favorite thing to go out and work with customers but in that course of working and managing that that consulting team I worked for Warehouser uh, during when they all, well, started actually with Plum Creek Timber and their, when they uh, converted to a REIT. And I got to work with uh, um, Rick Hawley, who was the CEO at that time. And I actually got this kind of really cool interaction with a CEO and, and understanding how a CEO needs to see at a high level forest of what's going on with the holdings and the management of the forest in a way that allows them to make uh, business decisions that have a, a deep impact. So his Rick Hawley's whole thing forever, uh, and you know this is going back a few years, he used to say, I just want to know how many acres I own. And at that point, you know, Plum Creek had 7 million acres or whatever it was. And he got, it would take three months to get an answer and they were three or four different answers so that idea of how technology also needs very good data to work with and it's a hand and glove thing so it's not just technology but the the data aspects of it was really interesting to me as well so 
from there, I actually left and I went to left Esri and went to work for a company called Geoengineers, which was an earth sciences and engineering company. And I ran their revenue generating technology team. So we had some go to market applications for hydro dams. We did a lot of work in, in, in product development. And so fantastic team, fantastic time there. I really enjoyed, again, my work because it was kind of this pairing of consulting, working on hard problems with customers, but then also the pivot, potential pivot to products out of that work we did with those customers. Um, and another example was we worked, I think it was with Puget Sound Energy at the time, and they were tracking bird kills from the windmills and other electrical things. And you have to report that out. So we helped them and built out a nap that turned uh, other utility companies started using as well. It was called Avian something, Avian, Avian Audit. So anyway, that, so that was my stint. I was there for seven years, really enjoyed doing that work. Uh, Esri called me back. I was, I'm a rehire, a repeat at Esri. I went back working for Esri and took on their global commercial forestry accounts. So I was all over. And that was fascinating to me too, because I really got to know the timber industry globally, not just the Pacific Northwest or the West Coast, but what's going on in Finland and Sweden um, and Germany and South America, Klebeen down there. And I, I had, again, had a great time and then the pandemic comes and it kind of makes you reshift and think about things. And I, I hate to say this, but I'm kind of at the tail end of my career, we'll just say. And I thought, you know, where do I really want to work? How can I have an impact in an industry that I'm pretty passionate about? And uh, the Forest Stewardship Council came up. And it, anyway, there's a whole... Well, hopefully we'll get into more yeah. of what's going on at the Forest Stewardship Council. Absolutely. But I did want to go back to your Patagonia piece of this as well. So I had a stint where one of the things I did for geoengineers was went down to Patagonia. I was working with the Nature Conservancy. It was actually a consulting project. And I went down there to help Patagonia, the Patagonia government and the Nature Conservancy, Patagonia Clothing. And there were uh, a few, you know, oh, the actual sheep farmers were involved in it too. Patagonia Clothing wanted to certify their wool for their clothing so they could say it was sustainably farmed. So I went down there and we ran this workshop. It was a week and a half down in Bariloche, Argentina, which is in the Northwest corner of Argentina and worked with Patagonia and with um, the Patagonian government and the Nature Conservancy was who was, um, was hosting all of it, right? They were the ones pulling these pieces together. One thing the Nature Conservancy is really good at doing is being an intermediary. And uh, so out of that, you know, what it was my first exposure to this idea of certification, as well as how do we connect the sheep farmer to the actual customer out here on the other end of that supply chain. Yeah, yeah. That supply chain certification, and I call it now the transparent supply chain or the visible supply chain, knowing where you got the wool or the wood 
and getting a higher value for it because you can connect directly with the customer in the end. That's exactly where I'm at here at the end yeah. with uh, our friends at Forest Stewardship Council. So yeah, that's that's incredible. It's amazing when I when I talk to folks on the digital force, right? There's this pattern where everyone starts, there's a spark, and they're <laughs> on their journey. It doesn't matter, like start, middle, end, but there's this, there's there's these events that just seem to happen that eventually they make sense when you look back and maybe they don't make as much sense as where we are now or or maybe looking for but but there's definitely this trend uh, that I'm hearing from 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 people so let's talk about technology you talked about GIS you know and and so you know we're probably Oracle SQL days you know a heavy desktop oh yeah uh, you know and now things are different so as we think about forestry maybe a question to you is 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 there something that that unfolded in the technology landscape that one you you kind of foresaw coming and then maybe two that that completely caught you from off guard that you just didn't see coming in all your experiences so let's go with the one i kind of saw coming and it's it started way back uh with the work i did with that forest ecologist and that is the idea of being able to model trends, right? How, how can you create a model that can help you look forward and start to make decisions about things that haven't happened yet? And I mean, come on, that was in the 90s I was doing that stuff. And it was clunky. There was a lot of moving parts. It was written in AML, all of these things. But there's, again, that kind of spark of, wait a minute, if you can model and do trend analysis, you can start to make decisions about things that could or should happen here. And so that, that kind of analysis has always got me excited. So I, I've kind of, I'd like to say I saw it coming, but I wasn't alone. Everyone knew, knew it was coming. And, you know, it, it, that's, that's the one thing that has really, uh, that's always been pretty interesting for me. Things I didn't see coming. Well, I've, <laughs> since I was like, 10, I was into science fiction. So science fiction is just basically uh, science or technology that hasn't happened yet in my mind. So a lot of the things in science fiction you kind of think are going to happen. I think that what has been interesting for me is the acceleration of, of uh, sensors and the sensor integration and equipment I didn't really, I didn't put all that together. I've always been kind of aware of the potential of artificial intelligence, machine learning, all those sorts of things. But, but that idea of IoT, the internet of things, and wait a minute, you can connect this. It's not just the internet, but being able to connect your harvester head unit to an actual software that you're doing just-in-time harvesting, that, that, that's like, holy cow, that's really cool. That wasn't in the Terminator. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that wasn't in the Skynet uh, playbook, no, no, there, right? No, no. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm 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 secretly giggling inside because you said AML, and so for our listeners, arc macro language. And then again, this is dating us. But the reason it made me <laughs> chuckle inside is because I and I think it was we were both at this partner conference where uh, Jack Dangerman, CEO or president of uh, Esri, was he always likes to do these polls, right? And I remember one where it was like, you know, AML, like who who remembers AML? And then, you know, my arm shot up, and I thought there'd be like tons of people, right? And yeah. <laughs> I looked around, and then I was like, oh my god, it's like there's not that many hands. And then it kind of struck me like, oh, I think I've <laughs> achieved that stage of career where it's like 
the youngins don't even know like ARC Info. And I know a lot of our listeners are going to be like, oh yeah, ARC Info, you know, the uh, AE, the shortcuts <laughs> on the command line, right? Again, other younger digital foresters are probably wondering, what are these, what are these two guys talking about? But Antiques. fascinating there. Antiques. And yeah, and it, it still makes me laugh when you're talking about that warehouse, example, area, you know, three different numbers. We know there's still forester, forestry companies out there dealing with that oh, exact yeah. same exactly. issue today. Something as simple. So definitely IoT, I agree, like this whole movement of connectivity, yep. uh, just in time, near real time, however you want to define that, but le- leveraging uh, again, if it feels like, you know, we're, we're preaching Jack's message, right? You know, data, then insights, actionable insights, you know, that yep. jargon. But in some respects, Jack's Jack. And, and you know, if I'm betting, it's like, I'm going to, you know, bet on him. And, and that language really resonates today, even though it may not have uh, resonated at the time, which is often the case with people who are visionaries and thinking forward on that front. But in terms of forestry, like you've been working, you mentioned you're doing like this global commercial forestry stuff. I'm curious to know, in that experience, did you find patterns or associations amongst forestry across these geographic spaces? Were the problems similar or variations of each other? Or was it that drastically different that some are just more quote unquote advanced than other regions. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting to me because there are some marked differences um, in the industry from continent to continent. And, you know, I'm, I have very much a North American experience, Um, you know, Canada and the U S very similar in their timber practices and where they're at with technology their entrepreneurial spirit is is very alive in what they're doing, and um, also the idea that they're they're working with real data, right? So that they're gonna they're gonna report and do the things with real data. So then you go to some place, yeah, and I'll, I'll the the wide variety is mostly based on political culture. We'll just call it that. And depending on where you go, you go to Europe and that entrepreneurial piece is much, it's still there, but it's smaller. And there's a lot more regulation and compliance and other things on top of that, which actually makes it, um, in my opinion, a, a more difficult industry to participate in, in a lot of ways. And one that also they tend to, you know, I kept hearing, oh, those guys in uh, Finland and Sweden, they're so far ahead of the curve with their technology and all the rest of it. And then I went over there and they're having the same problems as we are too. And they're, they're advanced Agreed. in some ways, they're reporting and, and a lot of the things they're doing. I got to work with, I mean, one of my favorite customers over in Sweden was Holman. Mm-hmm. And this is a 340-year-old company. If that's not a sustainable company, I don't know what is. But they've, they've been doing things the same way for a long time. They're, they've got a good machine going. They've got a healthy GIS. But, and forgive me to Lisa, who may, Lisa Nielsen's their <laughs> CIO, who yeah. listened to this. But some of their stuff, they haven't quite, gone into the IOT or they're not really looking at the AI and, you know, they have this way of doing things and it's been very good and successful. They have a very advanced uh, GIS, but maybe they're not looking out a little bit further on, on the, on the front of the ship there when it comes to technology. And they have some new challenges that are being thrown at them. When I was back, it was like 20, 2019, 2020, they, had their first forest fires in the history of their company. 
They had a, they were having fires in Sweden uh, in their holdings, and that had never happened before. So there's they those those countries. Sweden's a great example. They have a very good forest practice, and they are advanced, more advanced in a lot of ways. But they have new twists that are being thrown on all on all the time, and so they're they're being forced to adapt in different ways. Um, and then you go from there to like the Ukraine, and it's top of mind right now what's going on in the Ukraine with Russia. Yeah, absolutely. But it is a very difficult environment to be a, I'll call it a a good responsible forest manager there. It's very difficult. There's I met with you know some folks from the Ukraine and their job just in forest certification or the rest of it is really difficult. It's a political environment that's charged, there's corruption. So in a lot of ways, we've got a really good in North America. Um, and uh, so I don't know if that yeah. answers the question. No, but- for sure. It, it's, it's interesting to see that that global perspective in some of these other jurisdictions. And and definitely, you know, when we think, uh, you know, me being in Canada, you being stateside in the Pacific Northwest, there are similarities, there's differences, uh, but definitely I'd, I'd say far more commonalities in terms of how business is yeah. done. And especially as we look at, you know, the Canfors operating in the U.S. Southeast yep. and the West uh, Fraser and stuff like it yep. becomes this uh, blob of like togetherness, if that's even the, the right way of describing it. So I'm curious to know your thoughts on um, technology adoption, because again, as you've described <laughs> it, you love proms and I do as well. You, you know me. And, and sometimes it's the bane of our existence as well. There's the, hey, the eureka moments, we solve it and you're amped up for a whole a minute. And then it's like, all right, where's the next problem? Yep. Where do I go next? And oh, maybe I should sleep. But it's this roller coaster ride, and it can be frustrating. And as I, I know you know, where you see it so clearly, and it's so oh, yeah. obvious, it's so easy, <laughs> it's so easy, and yet it becomes next to impossible to, to to get this change through. What what do you think? Why do you think that's it? Do you think it's really limited to the the forest forestry sector? You think it's across the board, and it's something more common? But as we think about foresters, I, I more recently joke, it's like healthcare. It's like it just it just don't move that, yeah. that quick. It, it moves at its own pace and rightfully so it's very complex. But when you think about those initiatives you're involved with, with bringing change, oh yeah, there's some of those things you see that gets in the way. And, and, and along that line, like, what do you think we can do as, as people in tech to, to, to accelerate, or I don't want to use the disrupt term, but to affect change in a more faster, yeah. meaningful way. What are your thoughts? Yeah, and that's that's actually that very thing spurred me to to make this move to the Forest Stewardship Council, because you are exactly right. Um, you know, I've done a lot of strategic planning in my career, where I'd go into an organization, look at everything they've got going on, their IT plans, their you know their business needs, all the rest of it. And you would you could put together this amazing strategic plan, but there's an old saying, and I'm sure you know it: culture trumps strategy every time. And so, if you miss the culture of the industry, of the organization, of the micro teams that you're working with, you're going to not be successful. And so, if we think about forestry as an industry, as a practice, it, it is it is a it is a we grow trees, right? Trees, it takes 60, 80 years, 40 years, depending on where you're at. So you as a forester learn to kind of become a little more 
cautious about making big changes. So if you're going to make changes, you want to have small bets and you want to, you know, kind of maybe maybe we're not going to cut that tree down. We're going to see how it does or we, we're not going to just mow things down. So it's part of it is just the culture of the industry in my mind. And uh, and it's a good thing because the other side, of, honestly, that's kind of why I'm stuck with forestry and all this thing, because it's a love hate thing that they, they have this. <laughs> they, they have this. We're not going to move fast. But foresters and forest management companies, in my opinion, are some of the best innovators that I've ever seen. And, and so you have this kind of it's two sides, the same coin. And if you if you can finally get them to make the switch, they innovate and then they do it amazingly. And I think about even forest for Jack Dangerman at Esri, the forest management companies were some of his very first customers in GIS, very first ones. And that's been a good thing and a bad thing. It's been a good thing because they're still using some of the same software. That's true, that's true. <laughs> And it's been a bad thing because they have built a system that works and they are, you know, a little tentative to move off of that system. So, yeah. so that said, so what makes something change? And usually if it's a system that's working, it's hard to, it's, that's called a legacy system. And the definition mm -hmm. of a legacy system is one that works. And so you just don't want to change it over unless there's external pressures that start to happen. Love it. Love that definition. <laughs> yeah. And so, so when I think about, you know, I made this move to the Forest Stewardship Council and uh, this forest certification in my mind is, is hugely important, not only for, you know, the good players that are out there and there's a lot of them, um, but also for maybe laggards in the industry and maybe people who aren't even what I would call a company are participating in the industry, the corrupt, the political organizations, you know, we've got illegal logging, we have all these external pressures, climate change, you know, corruption, frauds, human rights violations. When you start looking at this globally, these are external pressures that are being put on an industry that is becoming more and more critical to the path of our world climate change, we can have an impact on climate change through our forest management scenarios. So yeah. going over to the Forest Stewardship Council, my role there as a senior technology officer, my role, I have two main things. One of them is to drive the adoption of tech, not only at FSC, but within our, our forest industry, certificate holders, all the rest of it. How can I enable the small holders, as we call them, the small companies to participate in a way with technology that is going to help them raise their game, so to speak, and make, make them more viable, you know. And so the second part of my job is to drive partnerships within the technology industry. So those two parts of it, and it's kind of, I I'm so excited because I actually got to define what my job is. I, I met the CIO, Michael Marus at the Forest Stewardship Council uh, probably three years ago. Just super impressed with this guy. Really, really great guy. He's over in Bonn, Germany. And uh, his vision is so good about how do we open up the supply chain? How do we make it visible, all the pieces of it? And 
so I sat down with him and I, and we had this kind of conversation and I said, here's, here's really what we need to do. We need to drive tech adoption within the forest stewardship council, which he is doing. And we need to get them up to speed to help all of our certificate holders, our auditors, all the rest of it. So we're off and running on that. And I said, the piece that's missing, Michael, is we also need to challenge the tech industry to participate in the problems of forest management and, and global uh, forestry within the global industry. And so the second part of my job is driving those partnerships within the tech industry. So now this is, I'm, I'm gonna go off on this. So you're gonna have to go on this ride with me here, Kevin. <laughs> so, so that one sounded cool. I was really excited about that because I've, you know, I've spent the bulk of my career in the tech industry. And then they said, okay, how are you going to do it? And then I'm like, okay, yeah, that's a good question. And so what I've what we're doing now, and it's actually off and rolling, we're going to have our first um, meeting webcast in March. But um, I'm putting together, we're calling it the FSC Technology Consortium. So this is a group of what I consider the main players that could affect the, the global timber market, the global forest market. So, and they're, so Esri, obviously, I went and met with Jack and Michael Maroos, our CIO, and I went down and met with Jack and his team back in November. And Jack, you know, Jack's a longtime conservationist. Again, he's yeah, always he's, been- He's in. <laughs> yeah, he's totally in. So, so his, his team will be part of that. Uh, Planet Imagery will be in there too. We're trying to work with Planet on developing change detection imagery that will allow us to see maybe areas where there's illegal logging going on. Also see the the impacts or the effects of cert for certification on you know those lands that before and after the certification process. Um, we've got uh, Tableau dashboarding mm -hmm. and uh, business analytics involved. Uh, DocuSign is also a huge, uh, huge partner of ours. So, so these are the ones that we've already talked to that will be in March. Uh, Amazon Web Services, it has our blockchain. We, we have a blockchain pilot going right now and AWS is part of that. Google and um, I mentioned Planet already. So those, those are the main, the main big ones. Right. And the, the idea with the tech consortium is that it's really would be a form of partners and it's not about funding. It's more about, I go back to the best relationships happen when you're solving a problem. So it's more about collaborative problems solving than anything. Um, so there that's. Yeah. Yeah. So no, that's, that's super cool. So I want to, I want to dig into there a little bit more in just a moment, but I'm going to ask, take us back a step. Um, and ask because I know there's some listeners of this podcast, <clears throat> my sister, uh, who is probably <laughs> thinking, Scott, I don't even know what FSC is. Like, uh, great, it sounds awesome. I can connect the dots. I think I know where you're going. But for those listeners, sorry, Jen, uh, explain to our listeners who may not be familiar with FSC and, and who they are, what they're about, and what their mandate is. Awesome. Thanks, Kevin. So, yeah. And I've had that too. Even my wife, when I said, "Hey, I'm, I think I'm going to move over to Forest Stewardship Council (FSC," you you know who they are. 
And she's like, no, no, I, I, I don't know who they are. Who are they? And I started trying to describe the mission. And I said, the best thing right now is just you've got a Starbucks cup. Just look at the side of it and you can see the FSC logo. FSC, the mission is really to promote environmentally sound, socially beneficial and economically prosperous management of the world's forests. So it's, it's a certification scheme that has three main bodies to it. It has the environmental compliance piece of it, and it has the economic. You have to have viable companies out there as well. And then it has the social and indigenous rights as part of that certification scheme. The social part of it, for me, the indigenous rights and voice is very important, but also the rural communities that make their livings, even here in the US and in Canada, in the forest, a lot of times they are not, you know, sometimes they don't get the credit or get the voice that they need when it comes to the forest management piece of it. So they have three main certi uh, certifications. The first one is forest management. So you can get a certification for managing your forest in a sustainable way. And that includes, you know, how you're treating your workers, how the your growth, your cut cycles, the biodiversity, all those pieces of it are important. The next part of that, and the one I'm most excited about is the chain of custody certifications. So, I mean, in everybody in the timber industry knows chain of custody has been kind of a problem for a long time. How do we know that this log cut from sure. this harvest unit is actually the same log that made it to the mill or is in your toilet paper or you know your building products. So that chain of custody certification is where we're really working on our blockchain uh, pilot and how we're adopting technology for that. And then the, the last certification is what we call a promotional license, the ability to put the FSC logo on Costco toilet paper or you know, if you go to Costco now, you, most of their, their paper goods are all FSE certified. So that's another type of cert certificate as well. Yeah. So. Yeah. Very cool. I, I love, I love the example. Um, it makes me laugh because I think of some colleagues that, that have joined the, the forestry space and there's, everyone has their views about forestry and oh, yeah. they tend to be on maybe one extreme or the other. And I remember uh, this person saying, you know, before I make this decision, I should probably inventory what parts of my life touch forestry and they did that they did that they went and started looking like where do i have wood products oh yeah and they were flabbergasted and they took the job um on the systems there was a technology role within a large uh, integrated forest products company but they took the job because they realized i won't say they're naive but maybe they didn't realize how much trees oh, yeah. played a part of their lives right and and i always joke and you know this you know we can make glass from wood it's like there's probably yep. wood in my shirt that i'm wearing right now it's not just toilet paper it's like yeah we need that but but in any event it's crazy to think about that i want to ask you i'm curious i'm dying to know now and i got like 20 bajillion questions in my head on on things you said first sounds like a dream job and as you just like yeah, kudos definitely... to you man that's awesome but this blockchain thing yeah Tell, yeah. tell me more about this pilot or what can you share on that? Because I know in feedback from this podcast, there are some digital forcers that are very young. Mm -hmm. and, and so while they love hearing about, you know, <laughs> our walk down memory lane, they're also thinking yeah. about 
you know, what, what's coming and this where is are we going? They resonate. Yeah. yeah. So maybe yeah. what can you share about this blockchain pilot? Where did it come from? What are you trying to achieve? And obviously you're tying it to chain of custody, but what can you share on that? So blockchain, blockchain is really just a distributed ledger, right? So it's just being able that everyone who is involved in the business transaction has a little piece of the information that goes into a blockchain. So we are focused our blockchain pilot in the Ukraine. And it's an area where there is a, a level of corruption, there's a level of distrust. And so everyone can participate in the blockchain without necessarily sharing details or information that they don't cool. want to share. So, so that's the beginning of it. So when I go to, and I'm trying to, I have obviously always have sorts of uh, conceptual architectures and the rest of it. So the blockchain ecosystem that we have, and I can't, can I share that? I'm not going to do that. Uh, part of what we're doing with, and again, you know, I mentioned our, our FSC um, technology consortium, each one of those folks has kind of a piece of this blockchain ecosystem. So the whole idea is, okay, Every time in a chain of custody workflow, we cut the tree, we, we make a log deck. There's a certain number of trees in that log deck. There's a record that's associated with the log inventory management. And then that log is loaded onto a truck. Every one of those transactions has a data element to it, all the way clear out to Costco and you buying toilet paper. So, and not that all trees turn into toilet paper, but the idea there is there, there's a lot of things that happen along that blockchain. Sure. And how do we make sure that we're not losing track of all of that? And that's really the main goal behind our blockchain ecosystem. And, you know, there's blockchain is for us at FSC, we realize it's not going to fit in all the places. But when you have some place that is highly has a lot of corruption and fraud, and actually our certificates get used where they don't even have, they shouldn't be using our certificates. True. So how do you how do you guarantee that? And blockchain is one way of doing that in an area where there's a lot of corruption, where there's not a lot of trust. And so that's that's the main scenario behind that. Yeah, so. perfect use case for, for blockchain. Absolutely. I, I love how you describe using FSC as a vehicle to, well, maybe I'll put the words in your mouth, but using FSC as a vehicle to affect change and, and maybe break down some barriers or impediments or common objections you and I have heard all the time. Uh, but you made a comment earlier in terms of, you know, maybe uh, uh, I'll paraphrase, but kind of getting the smaller organizations to, to come along. Tell me more about that and what how that could work or how you see that working with getting tech in front of that. Is that really case studies, pilots, or, or do you have something... Uh, ingenious no. in mind. No, no, no. So this is, uh, and I'm, I hate to admit this, I got goosebumps because this is an area where it's all of a sudden taking off. Like sometimes you take a job and you just land in the right place at the right time. And I just feel like I'm there right now. So part of FSC's whole thing is how do we, whatever certification process or audit process or whatever criteria we come up with, how do we encourage the small landowners or the small community forests or those, not just the big dogs, because they've got the resources to do it, but how do we help the smaller players too? So if we're doing these rules and all the rest of it, 
how do we ensure that we're not creating a hurdle for entry for somebody who's trying to get into it? And technology right. is kind of, again, the way that happens. So just recently, one thing that FSC does every two years is we have a general, what is it called? General assembly. And so all of our, we've got like 2000 members of this general assembly. Some of them are actual logging companies or timber companies. Some of them are, you know, indigenous tribes and all the rest. And that assembly comes together and they start voting on how they want to change the regs, how they want to ensure that we're doing a better job. Carbon ecosystem services, that was a big thing this year. This year, for the first time, everyone agreed that we should be requiring the GIS boundaries for the harvest units that allow us to move that along. In the okay. past, that is not, you know, the big, the big players and could, could go ahead and submit that, you know, that's awesome. We'd love to have that. But we couldn't really make it as a rule because we thought it might be too hard because there was too high of a bar to enter with GIS or technology right. and the rest of it. So, so we are building, we have in place a fantastic GIS infrastructure. And so one of the conversations with Jack was how do we do this in a way that we can encourage these small folks to come in do their heads up digitizing on a tool that we're providing for them. And, you know, it's not, it's not magic, but if you're a guy who owns, you know, 1200 acres and you don't know GIS and it's your family timber farm, mm -hmm. how do you do that? Where do you, where do you go with that? And, and so this is to, to get that information, get those tools out to those small holders as we call them and give them tools so they can better, manage their lands, not not to the level of what Lim Geomatics does, but it's just how about make a map yeah. of the harvest unit and a general age class. You'd be shocked, Kevin, at how well, no, you wouldn't. You know this. How many people don't have just a general age class of, of their timbers out there? So yeah. so that's that's part of it. The other part of it is I go back to the idea of you know how do we connect these small farmers to the end market out there. And my favorite example of that is in the rubber industry. We're, we're working in Indonesia as well, certifying rubber plantations. And so Pirelli Tires just released their first FSC certified tire no uh, from, from natural rubber. And so that was like, wow, all of a sudden this light went on um, with a lot of the rubber companies. And it's actually brilliant of, of Pirelli because what Pirelli was doing is saying that, hey, if we do this, we're going to get out in front. It's a highly competitive market. Natural rubber has a very narrow growing area. We can get out in front of this, build these relationships with the farmers down here through the certification scheme, and we guarantee ourselves rubber. And so that's that idea created an e-registry so those farmers can can come in register and connect with potential buyers that are out there as cool. well so we're doing cool. this we're on the same trajectory with our carbon certification 
and ecosystem services and some of the rest of it. So yeah, very cool. Well, well now I know why I couldn't get Pirelli winter tires. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't the supply chain. It was the FSC certification. I'm just joking, of course. Not about not being able to get Pirellis. Couldn't get any winter tires uh, for my car, my new car this year. But side story. Yeah, yeah, amazing. And and, and as you described that, Scott, it kind of and you you and I know this what is sexy cool hot to us and then we kind of move on yeah we sometimes forget that there's all these people that like this is a game changer and as yep, people exactly. who live and breathe technology sometimes we get caught in absolutely not chasing the shiny things but moving on to too many shiny things at once and maybe not kind of connecting the dots so it's great to hear the initiatives of work you're doing and i can sense it as you talk about it it's like you're getting goosebumps it's like i get goosebumps because i can sense that the energy the enthusiasm as you're talking about this and that's awesome it's like what better place to be than in a career in a spot that you're supported and you, you have the flexibility obviously to to explore these different ideas so our time is flying by and and i'm curious to get your feedback on people who are listening to this foresters, maybe soon to be digital foresters, looking for pro tips from you in terms of where do I start? Where do I get started? You know, you have this rich career in geospatial, you know, environmental, you're obviously in a key role right now with FSC. But for that person who who has the, you know, the 600 acres, doesn't have a GIS background, as much as some listeners might go, there's not that many out there. We know there's many of them out there's there. There's a lot. How, how do they get started? What What's your tip on, you know, just take, do this one thing. That's all we ask, you know, from an accountability point of view, often, you know, in coaching, it's like, just do this one thing before we talk next time. What would that, what would that pro tip be? Well, <laughs> aside from hire someone young. No, or... no, 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 no. That's not where I'm going to go at all. The, actually, where I was going to go is from a personal experience. I was living on a friend of mine's timber farm, a family friend, and he's at an age where he's in his seventies and he's got two sons and he's it's a timber farm that he's been hands off on and he's had somebody else managing a forester and uh, he came to me and I was living there and I toured his whole farm and I said hey do you have a map and he's like well you know I I know where everything's at I can draw it on a napkin and and I'm like okay no so where do you start if you're a small holder get a map, even one, even hand-drawn, start with that map, take a picture of it. You can convert the picture to, I mean, you just got to start somewhere. And a map is everything we do, every single activity we do as foresters relates to a place on the ground. It, that is the, the absolute truth, the absolute beginning. So once you do that, you can convert it to a PDF and I, everyone, everyone at Esri, as soon as I say this is going to freak out, but you can, you, you can load it into there's apps that you can get for nothing and, and put your own PDF of your own timber farm. Yeah, like and, apps and stuff like that. Yeah. Vinza, I didn't say it. You said, I said it. it. It's okay. So I'm going to get in trouble now. Yeah. It's like, I know the president of Venza, you owe me one now. Any, anything that comes back, I'm just joking but, there. You know, and I'm, I'm just joking because that is really, the map is the beginning. And it's actually how I started my career too, just mapping a forest. And it's so amazing to do that. And, and now you've got this thing you can look at and think about and, and get all these details out of it. And then that gets to the, to your handheld device and the ability to go out with data into your forest is is 
is the most amazing thing because you forget stuff. You go out there, Absolutely. you get your maps, your paper maps spread out there. It's raining like crazy. So mobile device, go in through the, the mobile gate. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Game changer there for sure. So, so as I, I said earlier, time is flying by. I'm loving this conversation. I'm curious as customary in this podcast, as, as we kind of come to the tail end, I always like to poke people's brain and, and now that everyone's uh, the neurons are firing, what's the future look like from your seat? You, you've, you've lived it, you breathe it, you've achieved success, you know, done things a lot of people haven't done. You're in a great position now to affect change, make, make an impact, uh, obviously. But if we think one three-year time frame, what, what gets you excited beyond what we talked about today and, and your work? Are there things that or even beyond your old FFC that you're just like, man, once I, once I crush this, I'm going to go after this thing. Is there something out there that, that, you know, the, the dots are shining out there. You're trying to connect. Yeah, this is, it's, it's a fun question because for me, I, again, so where, what's going to happen next is globally the, the forest, the timber industry, the forest market is going to connect. And so you have to be ready to play in that. And again, FSC is a global certification. I know you've got cu customers all over the place, Kevin, too, all of these. And it's the technology piece of it that is going to connect all of this, these Timberlands together in a way that allow us to better understand, understand um, where we're going. So climate change, I'm going to say it, some people can do what they want about this, but Climate change is, is one of the biggest game changers that we're going to see. It's also a huge wealth making opportunity. And I think that the timber industry and the forest, forest market, timberlands are poised to reap huge benefits from that. And we've got carbon on the horizon, ecosystem services, all of those sorts of things. Sure. There's a lot of money right now just floating around in startup space around carbon certification. And uh, I, I just think that that is a market that is, people have been talking about it forever, but there's like this, you know, this groundswell that's starting to happen, the wheels spinning up and you better be poised for that, that full spinning wheel. Uh, or you're going to miss the is, is that something you think that maybe surprised you like the whole climate tech, uh, movement with you know a different pool of money coming in different dry powder coming to the table is that something that maybe surprised you well the 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 amount of startup uh, vc on that is what surprised me i'm working with a i've been talking to i'll just say this there's there's a startup company down in the bay area that is doing a lot of stuff and they just i mean the venture capital that they've had come in to them is just incredible. And so there's the, I am surprised by the amount of venture capital because I'm kind of old school where, you know, the startups, I participated in that startup mentality, but I'm this old school where you make something, you sell it, you get the money and then you reinvest it. And so to have like 10 or $20 million show up and they're just like, we want you to make something we want you to innovate that's yeah. that's a that's that's something i didn't know about we'll just say yeah. that yeah yeah so. in the forestry space and certainly this past year has been crazy right you got startups yeah. uh, raising you know 
25, 50x multiples there. That's that's unheard of. Whether that continues is a whole different story. Well, whether it does or doesn't, there is innovation that will happen out of that. Absolutely. So the, there's going to be a lot of startups that just flop, but there will be little nuggets of tech and learning that happen in those startups. So For sure. Well, they're going fast. They, the VCs want them to go 100 miles an hour, hit that wall, 100 miles an hour, pick yourself up, do it again. But they're yep. betting on one to succeed. Right. And, uh, so totally makes sense. So, so as we wind down, um, I suspect a lot of folks are probably listening to this, you know, the, the FSC, uh, technology consortia, you know, first time I've heard about it. So thanks for sharing that. Love the, the, the vision, the idea where you're taking that, but lots of other things you talked about. I, I suspect some of our listeners or our viewers and listeners for that matter, um, are going to want to follow up and say, how can I get involved? How can I participate? Or I need some help. What's the best way people can get a hold of you? Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, just old school email or? Yeah, what, I'm on Twitter. Way? I'm on Twitter all the time. I'm definitely on LinkedIn and it's Scott with one T McQueen, M-C-Q-U-E-E-N. But you can always email me s.mcqueen at fsc.org. So and I'm based here in Olympia, Washington. So if you're in Olympia or this Northwest region, I'm more than happy to meet with you as well. Yeah. So, so last, last final fun question. When, when's, when's the first trip uh, into the tin cup, the good old airplane thing that we used to always ride all the time. Do you have a trip planned? And if so, <laughs> so is it so, vacation or is it? Uh, well, I have to go back to Bonn in, in March, but I actually flew to Bonn in late September, worked for three weeks on the last two days before I left. I tested positive for COVID and was in, I was in quarantine for two weeks. So I was in Bonn for five weeks. Wow. Um, yeah. So yeah, I've already been out there. I yeah, don't recommend yeah. COVID for anyone. Uh, fully vaccinated, by the way, too. So. Yes, yes. Well, it's it's interesting times, especially these days with Omicron. It's uh, it's touching everybody. Uh, you know, there's it's no longer several degrees of freedom removed. It's it's very close to that. So cool that hey, I'm jealous. I haven't been in a, a, a rocket ship since <laughs> February 2020. I can't really say I miss it either. You know, you know, and it's parts like, you're of lying. it. Yeah, you miss parts of it. You know, but when you're logging a hundred thousand miles in the air. It, and yeah, the, the appeal just vanishes very quickly. So there you have it, folks. Uh, reach Scott via Twitter or email s.mcqueen at fsc.org. Did I get that right, Scott? You got it. All right, man. Well, hey, everyone's busy these days. I am so pleased that you're able to carve off some time for this guy and our audience, our viewership and listeners. Last words to you, my friend. Uh, well, thank you. Thank you for everyone. I, I love this industry and all the people in it. This is, I just like being here. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. And uh, again, appreciate your time and we'll chat soon. Great. Thanks, Kevin. All right. Thank you. Thank you.